Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. Order your copy on Amazon, or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Bryant's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. That is here. A few random observations about the play-in game earlier tonight before I look at why the Grizzlies are in a far better place going forward with John Morant than the Pelicans are with Zion Williamson. But before I get to that, a few observations from the Grizzlies' 117-112 overtime win over the Golden State Warriors in the final play-in game, earning the Grizzlies the eighth seed and the gift, and no, I'm not being facetious, of facing the number one seeded Utah Jazz in a first-round seven-game series. First, I'm now beginning to wonder if the league wants to eliminate true big men from the game. I say that because of how Grizzly center Jonas Valanciunas was officiated tonight. I also say that because you should know that how the referees officiate games is how the league wants them officiated. Now, I don't mean in determining a particular outcome, no conspiracy theories here, but in how the game looks and how it is played. The league clearly loves three-pointers being taken in particular and offense in general. It wants no physicality whatsoever perhaps so that no players ever go chin-to-chin barking at each other. Think of the last time you saw two players that had to be separated. I don't mean the refs stepping in between and teammates escorting them away. I mean having to literally pull two players apart who are ready to put hands on each other. If it happened this season, I don't remember it. And what's the fear? Guys aren't going to go all NHL and swing on each other. I wouldn't mind being reminded that guys care and hold grudges and are ready to stand their ground for a win. I think that's a flavor 
in the league that is missing these days. Now, there was a time in the league when it recognized that big men have a difficult job in wrestling with a man their size on the block and still sliding over to help defend the rim on those pesky little guards flying in to steal some cheese. Meaning, they weren't subject to ticky-tack fouls. Brush a guard with your chest as he drives to the rim? No call. Hold another big off or give him a little chuck to create space to receive a pass? No call. Why? Because their roles require them to constantly put themselves in position to make contact. If you're going to call ticky-tack fouls, most of them are going to get in foul trouble in a hurry. Guards can adjust far more easily because in most cases, they're not the last line of defense. The bigs are. That's why they were given a little more latitude back in the day. Also because there was more star power at those positions. So much the way I demonstrated or showed in yesterday's podcast or the last podcast about Chris Webber not being fouled out as a talented star big. That was more the case. Now that we don't have a whole lot of star bigs, seems like slowly but surely the rules or the interpretation of the rules have changed. Uh, case in point, this game against the Warriors. Valanciunas was put on the bench with just over four minutes to play with two fouls that would not have been called 10 years ago. And if somehow the first one, where he had inside position on Draymond Green and leaned on him to maintain space to receive the ball, the second, when Kent Bazemore drove the baseline and stumbled into Valanciunas, would have never been called. Might have got one of those wrong, but they would have made sure that it wasn't two because refs would be fully aware. Valanciunas gets two early fouls, he's going to the bench. And there was a time where the belief was the star should be able to win and lose games. Let players win and lose games. Let the talent show itself. Don't let the officials insert themselves on the game. Now, that led to the idea of star calls. And yeah, to a certain extent, there's more leeway given to the stars. I would rather see the stars play. So I, don't, I didn't mind the leeway. But none of this happened with Valanciunas. Instead, Draymond exaggerated the contact on the first one because he had no other way to stop Jonas from take a catching and dunking the ball and referee Scott Foster bought it and then Valanciunas was given a blocking foul on the Bazemore play and subsequently sent to the bench now why does any of this matter well small picture Valanciunas was poised to dominate the Warriors the same way he had the Spurs when he picked up his third foul early in the second quarter and that was a legit foul he went back to the bench having been plus 16 in nine minutes of action. And why does that matter in the big picture? Because if nothing else, it highlights how much the game has changed and the advantage scorers have in today's game. Having someone like Valanchunas patrolling the paint is not nearly as intimidating for a guard if he knows all he has to do is cause some contact and the very least he's going to the free throw line. A lot of contact, and there's a good shot at a flagrant. And not having Valanchunas, or anyone like him, patrolling the paint, simply opens the floodgates. That's the massive advantage every scorer has today. Now, 
Consider what it does for LeBron, who is nearly as big and strong as Valentunas. Not only is there no one for him to worry about when he goes to the rim, he knows he has a massive advantage by his mare's strength and size. And while having, being the bigger guy, rules are still being applied the same way. Offense is getting the benefit of the doubt. So if you're attacking on the dribble, chances are if it's a 50-50 call, not even chances. If it's a 50-50 call, it's going your way. Now, Valanciunas' foul trouble gave more time to Jaron Jackson Jr., the Grizzlies' young, promising big who missed a lot of the season injured. And my only observation of him is that he needs to have his three-point stroke retooled sooner rather than later. I don't believe every shooting form has to be picture perfect or fit within the same guidelines, but he has two elements that are going to limit the ability to count on his shot late in games and under duress. The fact that he shot nearly 40% last season is deceptive. I'd like to see what his shooting percentage was late in games because he shoots with his arms and he shoots with them extended out in front of him, which means he's not getting anything out of his legs and he can't get his wrist back for a full snap. It creates a flat shot with little rotation and when the fatigue of the game sets in, it's sure to impact his touch and accuracy. I think it's actually impressive that he shot 40%. I mean, it's, it's all arm. That's just, it's difficult to have touch when you shoot it that way. Another observation, Steph Curry gave it a valiant effort and clearly is as fit as a 33-year-old could possibly hope to be. But there are certain laws of physics and physiology that are just impossible to overcome. I noted the other day on FS1 Radio that Steph Curry was not on my MVP ballot. It wasn't because I wanted to avoid the risk of giving an MVP vote to a guy who couldn't even get his team into the playoffs, although I do wonder how those who voted for him are feeling right now. There must be quite a few voters who put him on their ballot because it was announced he is one of three finalists, along with Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, for the award. The reason I didn't have Steph on my ballot, and I did have Jokic, Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Luka Doncic is that they have a natural physical advantage along with their great skill. Their numbers and what they did this season, no, they didn't lead the league in scoring. But if you look at their other numbers, they were better playmakers or better defenders. And they had a natural physical advantage. Yes, Steph relentlessly had to play in a crowd this season. So why don't teams do that with LeBron and KD and James Harden and Doncic? Because it doesn't work. And why doesn't it work? Because if those guys draw a double team or a triple team, they are strong or long enough to pass directly to the man left open. Steph doesn't have that luxury in at least half the time. In most cases, he's simply trying to pitch it back out to Draymond or anybody who he can get the ball to who's nearby. Draymond's usually 35 feet from the basket and is then hoping he can make a play or swing the ball quickly enough to whoever is open who can actually shoot. That's not Steph's fault. That's just the reality of being 6'3 and 185 pounds. Now, the one other name on my ballot was Chris Paul. And while he is smaller than Steph... 
he's built like a little vault. So much stronger, has the ability to keep people off him and bump people off and use his strength to create opportunities. He also gets the intangible factor in that had just such a profound effect on the Suns culture. Culture that, that culture changed so dramatically from last year. And Monty Williams certainly deserves some of the credit. And bringing a vet like Jay Crowder in helped. But Chris Paul had a profound effect. And as a result, there was a profound change in the success of the team. And I felt that I needed to acknowledge that. What the Grizzlies did better than a lot of teams down the stretch is expose Steph at the other end. Whoever he guarded looked to attack. That person most often being 6'9", Kyle Anderson. He'd simply maneuver his way to the free throw line or lower, forcing the Warriors to double team him to protect Curry, which resulted in six assists and zero turnovers. Curry, meanwhile, had seven turnovers and five assists. Fatigue was certainly a factor. You could just see it happen as the game wore down. But there were also decisions that were questionable. Foul on Kyle Anderson late, I attribute that to fatigue. Two steals in the backcourt. Could have gone to the rack. Pulled up, decided to take the three, left them both short. Had a turnover, reckless turnover, being guarded by Anderson 40 feet from the basket. A replica of a similar turnover against Alex Caruso, 40 feet from the basket. Those weren't the result of being double and triple teamed, unless you're going to say all the double and triple teams left him fatigued. And then I might go with you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There was also Dylan Brooks who made Steph fight for every inch of space. Dylan Brooks is 6'7 and 225 pounds. After dealing with the Lakers' number one defense 48 hours ago, it was too much to ask of a 33-year-old, no matter how good of shape he's in, to do what he did and then some. So doesn't the age factor matter with LeBron? Not to the same degree. Yes, he's 36. But he's also 6'9 and 275 pounds, and he's been able to adapt to his age. He can play with his back to the basket, which he does more than he ever has, below the free throw line, and he can be a playmaker and a scorer from there. Those simply aren't options for Steph. He needs to be moving fast, making multiple cuts, with or without the ball, just to get free. It's just not sustainable. Not at 6'3 and 33 years old. So while what he has done is truly amazing, and I respect the hell, admire the hell out of him for it, if I am to give him 
special dispensation, and I've probably said this before, am I going to grade on a curve? Am I going to, because of his size and age, he has to do so much more for the same effect? And keep in mind, was a phenomenal scorer. Led the league in scoring. For his size and his age, absolutely remarkable. Deserves some sort of recognition, and I gave it to him by making him first-team All-NBA. But MVP is about what you do with the team. And I'm sorry, I'm just not going to go along with the idea that this team was absolutely trash without Steph. I'm not going to take one blowout loss against the Toronto Raptors in which Steph did not play as evidence of what the team was overall without him. You give me one game without a star, particularly if it's unexpected, and that's going to happen. Especially with the knowledge of the Raptors or the, that the Raptors have of the Warriors from, from their years of playing against each other from their having played in the finals against each other. So finally, my last observation or note, if you will, and this is to answer one of my FS1 colleagues who at, well, I'll just say Nick Wright on uh, the morning show, early morning show out of New York, a LeBron acolyte, if you will. And he asked if Steph and the Warriors not being in the playoffs and several of the games being blowouts proves that LeBron James was right in criticizing the play-in format? The answer is no, Nick, it does not. The Warriors, Lakers, LeBron versus Steph contest that we got made it worth, worth it all by itself. That was something we would not have otherwise seen. Same goes for the Grizzlies having to go overtime to vanquish the Warriors and earn their stripes. And if you think Steph would have performed any better having to face the Jazz in a seven-game series which is what they would have if they had remained in the eighth seed and we didn't have the play-in concept. If you think that Steph would have given us five, six games better than what we saw, you weren't paying attention to these two games or anything I just said. We saw the attrition against the Lakers, who did not play particularly well and are still gathering their steam, the Memphis Grizzlies aren't in the class of the Utah Jazz. And, I mean, we're talking about the 7th and ninth seeds. And yet, Steph shot well, scored well, couldn't do enough to make a difference, at least between winning and losing. More important, the final two weeks of the season mattered for more teams than they ever had thanks to the play-in format making them competitive and meaningful and worth our attention. Also, LeBron doesn't need anyone helping him gain more attention for what he does and says. He seems willing to put in the time to make sure everyone is well aware of his accomplishments, just in case they're not. Okay, so to my final point or topic. And I don't want to keep talking about vindication, but... Going back to the 2019 draft, I said I felt John Morant was the better player to build around and therefore more worthy of the number one pick than Zion Williamson. I was pretty much on an island by myself when it came to that. Ja, of course, 
Played 67 games last year. Had the Grizzlies in the eighth seed when COVID-19 hit. And played a fierce but ultimately fruitless play-in game against the Blazers in last year's bubble. All while Zion played a mere 24 games and the Pelicans finished 13th in the Western Conference. Despite that stark difference, there were outlets who still tried to insert Zion into the Rookie of the Year conversation, which, thankfully, Ja won decisively. But just wait until Zion is healthy, then watch out. That's what I heard. So, Zion played 61 games this year. Pelicans still finished 11th. And yet, I'd say far more adulation continues to be heaped on Zion over Ja. And I just don't get it. Zion can't shoot outside 12 feet, much less threes. He can't defend his position. He's not a rim protector, not a very good rebounder. He has a nice handle, and he is damn near unstoppable getting to the rim. But that won't get it done. It certainly didn't this year. I mean, this is an exaggeration. But if you really wanted to, let him charge to the rim 60 times a game. Let him go one-on-one. 60 times a game. Let him score on 66% of those drives. That's 80 points. Stay home on everybody else, and I don't see how the Pelicans win with that formula. He has to develop a three. Teams that don't have players, primary players, who can shoot the three are playing at a disadvantage. No matter what percentage Zion scores his twos at, it's still trading twos for threes. That's a losing bet. Until he has a more nuanced game, I'm not even sure who you put around him, but I would start with a load of three and D guys and go from there. Pelicans have maybe two of those right now. Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe. And Bledsoe isn't happy or all that effective without the ball in his hands. Ja, on the other hand, has a game and a frame built for today's NBA as a 6'3", 174-pound point guard. Yes, I know. I just finished talking about how Steph's size causes limitations. And Ja will have to get stronger. There's no question. But while they're the same height, Ja has a 7-inch wingspan. 3 inches long. Excuse me. A 6-foot, 7-inch wingspan, which is 3 inches longer than Steph's. And that's a pretty significant difference. Here's another one. He's 21 years old. Give me Steph of even just five years ago, and the Warriors don't lose these two play-in games. But the reason I think the Grizzlies' future is so much brighter than the Pelicans isn't just the difference between Ja and Zion. It's what's around them. The Grizzlies have quietly acquired players that are ideal fits for Ja. Valanchunas is key as a big-bodied screen setter, since Ja could be easily overpowered without picks to rub bigger defenders off of. You kind of see that with Steph. Draymond's good, and he's good because he's mobile, so that if you trap Steph and you get the ball to Dre, he can put the ball on the floor and create. You're not going to get that from Valanchunas, but he's just going to... It's going to allow Ja to rub bigger defenders off of that pick to get him free. Warriors really didn't have, they didn't even have that with Wiseman. And much like the Warriors paired Steph in the backcourt with a big defensive-minded two-guard in Klay Thompson, the Grizzlies have Dylan Brooks. In Jackson, they have a rim runner. 
Kyle Anderson and Grayson Allen and Brandon Clark are all high IQ, tough-nosed guys who can affect the game without touching the ball. And they have a young coach in Taylor Jenkins who clearly has the trust and confidence of his players and knows how to game plan. He didn't play Jaron Jackson in the final minutes or down the stretch. And no one blinked, including Jaron. Grizzlies had their share of injuries this season, including DeJaw, weathered them and made it into the postseason. Which, here's the gift. That's huge for a young team. Because now they get to find out what they really have. Regular season is where players prove they belong in the league. Postseason is where they prove whether or not they're worth paying to keep. Now, they showed a lot in this game knocking off the Warriors. As young as they are, as unproven as they are, Dylan Brooks showed you something. Kyle Anderson showed you something. John Morant showed you something. But that's one game. A series is a different animal. Against the same team, different animal. Regular season is where players prove they belong in the league. Postseason is where they prove whether or not they're worth paying to keep. It's also where reputations are built that serve a player going forward. If Dylan Brooks shows against the Jazz what he did in defending Steph, the refs are going to give him a little more license to be physical moving forward. See Draymond Green for an example of that. The Pelicans are getting none of that because they're not in the postseason. It's one more plus for the Memphis Grizzlies. It's one more plus for John Morant. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Appreciate all of you who have already done that. We got a full slate of weekend games. The series begin, and we'll have a lot to talk about next week. And so we will. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.